Well, thank you so much again for joining The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I'm looking again at a book called The Great Divide by Alvin Schmidt, uh, subtitled The Failure of Islam and the Triumph of the West. And I, I like this book a great deal because of the history. I'm a history fan. Um, it covers things like Jesus and Muhammad, opposite sides regarding ethical issues. Christianity grew without violence at the beginning as opposed to Islam. From the beginning, it was using force. The West gave us freedoms and dignities uh, to a lot of groups of people, especially women, as opposed to the Islamic practice of veiling and restricting women. And then the, the chapter I want to look at now, I did one on science, by the way, before a podcast on this book, which showed that experimental science came out of the West because of Christian thinkers. They saw God as a rational being who had a world that he had created that could be studied. But uh, Islam, they, they did have some prominent philosophers, but they discovered no scientific laws. Anyway, I want to do the focus on slavery, the chapter on slavery. And uh, what a difference. Again, the book is called The Great Divide, and there's a huge divide between uh, the way Christians dealt with slavery and, and uh, Islam did. So I like his background. He starts off, he said, this is pretty eye-opening. He said, by the time of Christ, in ancient Greece, guess what the, just a rough estimate here of the slave population was. Okay, so time of Christ in ancient Greece, 75% of ancient Greece was made up of slaves. The Roman Empire, about half. And across the Atlantic, of course, slavery was practiced by American Indian tribes long before Columbus set foot on the shores of the New World. I think that's really important. Somehow we've got this idea that the Indians were peaceful, loving people sitting around singing Kumbaya and treating each other in a wonderful fashion, and absolutely not. Uh, I'm just reading something about some American uh, Southwest Indian tribes and some of the slavery and murder that went on. So slavery was not only around the area where Christ was, but it was in the New World as well. So the, the, the thing that's really uh, astounding is that, and what he's going to prove in this chapter, is that slavery is closely associated with the Islamic religion. So let's do the first part. Let's look at Christian, uh, Christians and slavery, and then we'll get to the view of Islam's, of Islam's view of slavery. So he talks about slavery flourishing all over the place a hundred years before it got finally outlawed by, by the British Empire. Ethiopia had slavery until 1942. Saudi Arabia up until 1962. Peru until 64. India until 76. It still exists to this day in Islamic countries like Mauritania, Senegal, Sudan, and that's uh, Africa's largest country. So what he's going to point out is that slavery in these countries is associated with the Islamic religion. So there's where we go into the great divide that he's going to talk about. So let's pick up first. Remember, he's going to do two things in each of these chapters. He's going to tell what the Christian view and practices were with whatever the, the issue is, and then the Islamic view. So here we go, early Christian opposition to slavery. Remember the story about Paul in, in the book of Philemon. He told Philemon he was no longer to treat that runaway slave, Onesimus, like a slave, but as a brother. That was revolutionary. It was contrary to everything that the societies of that time period believed. Um, he also told the Galatian Christians that from a Christian perspective, 
There was neither slave nor free. You're all one in Christ. That's pretty amazing. So Paul laid a foundation for the abolition of slavery. There's nothing like that in the Quran or in the Hadith. All right, so back to that again. How did the Quran treat slaves very differently? Christians uh, interacted with slaves like they did free men. Uh, slaves communed with Christians at the same altar. They were catechized. They were treated as non-slaves. That's not the way the Romans dealt with their slaves. And the same with the Greeks. They didn't treat slaves any better. Christians freed slaves when they could. St. Augustine, Augustine said slavery was the product of sin. He said it was contrary to God's divine plan. St. Patrick in Ireland, he condemned it as well. And by the 12th century, slaves in Europe were rare. And by the 14th century, just about unknown where Christianity had made a big impact. Uh, early Christians saw slaves as their brothers. So in the 3rd century, Calixtus, who was once a slave, became not only a priest, but the bishop of Rome. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church lists him as one of their early popes. But... Let's move along in time here. It said it really had come to an end, slavery, by the 14th century. But they said, you know, in spite of Paul talking to Philemon, the Galatian Christians, many Christians, unfortunately, did own slaves. And even some prominent church leaders like Polycarp, Athenagoras, Clement of Alexandria and Origen spoke approvingly of it. So, yeah, there were some problems. Uh, so I like the book. It's fair. It shows some of the problems along with that. Uh, the British revived slavery in the 17th century, especially in the colonies. And the Portuguese and the Spaniards went to Africa. They got slaves there. They shipped them to their colonies. So it was terrible. It was uh, countries that would uh, identify themselves as Christians. That's really sad. But some serious-minded, devout Christians at that time saw it as a gross violation of basic Christian beliefs, thank goodness, and they fought it tooth and nail. And of course, we know the story of the uh, story of William Wilberforce, 1759-1833. He fought against it in uh, England's House of Commons. And just a few days, he fought it for years. And just a few days before he died, he received word Parliament had passed an abolition bill, resulted in a freeing of 700,000 slaves in the West Indian colonies. Isn't that something? Wow, that's a lot. That costs Britain a lot when it comes to finances. So slavery came to a complete halt by 1840. That was one of the first countries to outlaw slavery. What about the U.S.? Well, only about a quarter of Southerners owned slaves. And virtually every American church denomination had pro-slavery advocates. Sad. They they said, well, man's sinful, and there's precedent for it, and black people are inferior, and economic necessity, blah, blah, blah. Um, they said in every state, Christian cler clergy could be found who argued slavery was compatible. But the abolitionist movement came along. It had a higher percentage of Christian clergy than did the pro-slavery defenders. So that's, that's good. At least they were coming down the right side. So impact of Christian clergy on the abolition of slavery in America, you had Elijah Lovejoy. He was the first martyr. He was killed by a group of pro-slavery people, first martyr of the American abolitionist movement. He was a clergyman. Um, I'm going to skip over some others who fought it as well. Uh, some of these different clergymen were fighting against slavery. It says we need to remember that many Christian lay people also played a role 
to abolish, uh, to abolish American slavery. And of course, you may recognize this name, William Garrison. He was a Baptist from Massachusetts. He founded his own periodical called The Liberator, and that was putting out all sorts of articles against slavery. Harriet Beecher Stowe, she wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin in 1852. Uh, the book abounds with all sorts of biblical references. It says um, she had a Christian motivation that urged her to write that anti-slavery book. By the way, I teach college, and one time uh, it was in one of our textbooks, at least portions of it, and so we read it as a class. That's the first time I'd read it. It is still a stirring book. You might enjoy taking a look at it. Very powerful. Well, Harriet Beecher Stowe had a Christian upbringing. Her father was a Christian clergyman. And then we get all sorts of proclamations that start coming out. Uh, against slavery for years, a long time, the, the Quakers and uh, other people. And finally, it says, you know, today, unfortunately, textbooks focus on the ways in which Christians were part of the sin of slavery. Yeah, that's true. It says, but it's clear the American abolition movement was firmly rooted in the teachings of Jesus. Rodney Stark, he's a historian. He's not a Christian. He says, the abolition of New World slavery was initiated and achieved by Christian activists. So, has Christianity done some terrible things when it comes to slavery? Yes, unfortunately. But it was eventually the, the Christian West that freed it. What about Islam? So let's move to the second half of his chapter. What was it like there? Well, it said the phenomenon of slavery has been just about ignored in most publications that talk about Islam. Isn't that interesting? Muhammad spoke actually favorably about it in the Quran. Here's one example in Surah 24, 32. Just one example. And marry those among you, uh, and marry those among you are single, and those who are fit among your male slaves and your female slaves, if they are needy, Allah will make them free from want out of His grace. So you could uh, marry them, but nothing against slavery there. When Islam moved out and started conquering nations, they commonly enslaved countless people, captives. They were booty, they were rewards. And uh, said slaves in excess of what the leaders needed were usually sold or traded to various interested parties. There was a slave market operating in Muslim-occupied Spain in the ninth century. Stark says, quote, Muslim slave trading began many centuries before Europeans discovered the New World and carried at least as many Europeans into bondage, and probably more, as were shipped across the Atlantic. Now, I, I understand. You look at two sins, and you say, well, they're both sins, and I agree. But the point is, Islam has often been whitewashed and made to seem that it's really much better than the West. That's not true at all. Uh, Muhammad had slaves. Slavery is assumed, it's accepted in the Quran, widely practiced by Muslims, right from the very beginning of Islam. Um, nowhere in the Quran is slavery ever cast in a negative light. It's also assumed and approved in the Hadith. So it's, it's been a part of Islam for a long, long time. As I said, it shouldn't surprise any of us that slavery still exists today in some African countries where Islam is the predominant religion. Uh, says, we ought to consider what Bernard Lewis said. He's an American expert on Islam. He says that to Muslims, to, forget, to forbid what God permits is almost as great an offense as to permit what God forbids. 
And so uh, the Quran helps you understand that there's been no condemnation of slavery by any leading Muslim country or authority. Muslim countries that outlawed slavery did it much later than the Western countries. And the abolition of slavery in many Muslim countries was largely the result of outside pressure. And guess who? From the British, pretty much. Uh, one report in the 60s said Muslim countries proved extremely resistant to abolition. It said many of them had to be dragged into it by the European colonial powers. So we still have slavery in some Muslim countries. This has even been reported in Pakistan. Uh, to, it's, it's used, uh, found all over Sudan. It's all over the place. Uh, in 1983, an Islamic government amended the country's constitution in favor of Islamic law. So that means that the ruling Arab North could attempt to enforce the Sharia code on the entire country. And it says, uh, kind of sad, it says officials of the Nation of Islam here in the U.S. have denied what's going on in Sudan. It's in Mauritania. I won't even spend time on these. It says uh, there's a lot of silence from Muslims about this. It says it's difficult to find any prominent Muslim or credible Muslim publication that's spoken out against it or has condemned it. It says many of them feel no remorse for the past, no responsibility for the present. Uh, eighth century, the so-called tolerant Moors in Spain, they enslaved about a fifth of the Spaniards making them be menial domestics or concubines or eunuchs, musicians, soldiers, dancers. So it said, uh, you don't hear much from Islamic authorities reading up on this because they're so sensitive to this topic and embarrassed by it. And then he says, well, but why are so many Westerners fearful of saying anything that Muslims don't want them to say? Then he ends up with the conclusion no Muslim country's government or its conservative Islamic imams have ever expressed some kind of explicit condemnation of slavery. He said you can't find it. And the Quran or the Hadith, they don't condemn slavery. So here's a quote from uh, Thomas Patrick Hughes. He wrote the Dictionary of Islam. Slavery is in complete harmony with the spirit of Islam while it's abhorrent to that of Christianity. But he says the Muslims won't admit this, even though that's exactly right. Okay, well, that should give you an idea of uh, what Schmidt's up to in his book. He's, he's good at his history. He's, he quotes people. He's fair. And, but he shows you the huge problems within Islam. So the book, again, Alvin Schmidt, that's S-C-H-M-I-D-T. It's called The Great Divide. It would be a wonderful book for you to take a look at sometime. Well, I thank you again for listening. I uh, hope your day is a good one.